Hi everyone, I'm Davey Green. Welcome to episode one of series six of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We in HR have heard it all. We are slow. We focus too much on the tactical. We can't think strategically. We are all about risk management. We get in the way of progress. We can't be analytical. We need to be broken into two or even blown up. Not my words, but those of my guests for this episode, Stella Lupenshaw. Like me, Stella believes that we are at an exciting juncture for HR and that the planets are aligning for HR to change the many misconceptions about the function and how that by harnessing data, mindset and human-centered design, HR really can be a catalyst for change. Stella describes herself as a geek by training, a consultant at heart and an entrepreneur in character. Having previously held people analytics roles at companies like IBM, Fidelity Investments and TIAA, Stella is now on a mission to humanize the workplace, empowering greatness one woman at a time. I've known Stella for a few years and her expertise covers many fields, including people analytics, diversity and inclusion, HR technology and employee experience. In our conversation, Stella and I discuss how human-centered design can deliver improved business outcomes and a better workforce experience and how it's helping drive initiatives in areas such as diversity and inclusion. We talk about the challenges and opportunities for people analytics and what lies ahead for the field. And we also talk about the New York Strategic HR Analytics Meetup Group, which Stella co-organizes and which, by my estimation at 2,000 members, is the largest people analytics meetup group on the planet. We also look into the crystal ball as we do with all our guests and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone in an HR leadership or people analytics role, as well as anyone interested in how HR programs and people data can drive business outcomes, a better and more inclusive culture and employee experience. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 6 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. As research increasingly shows how important diversity is for business, companies worldwide strive to ensure their teams are inclusive, productive and remunerated fairly. GATSquare offers employers insightful pay analytics software and assessment, working with global corporations to measure and take action around inclusion and fair pay. Take a look at GATSquare's current framework, benchmark your work, and learn where you need to invest your efforts to foster change today. As competition for talent increases, there's never been a better time to accelerate fair play. Learn more, head to gatsquare.com forward slash accelerate. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Stella Lupershaw to the Digital HR Leaders podcast and video series here in New York. Stella, it's great to great for you to join us. Thank you. Great to see you, David, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It's a pleasure. Stella, can you give listeners a, a quick introduction to yourself, your background, and, and what you're currently involved with? Absolutely. So, I am a recovering corporate employee. I um, <laughs> I have been with uh, large organizations playing consulting uh, roles for most of my career, mostly in HR, starting with Pricewaterhouse, PricewaterhouseCoopers, IBM, um, then led the analytics practice at TIAA and Fidelity. And uh, about two years ago, I left the corporate world and decided to leave into the future of HR that I'm so passionate about and uh, became a solopreneur. And uh, the mission that I'm carrying with me is to humanize the workplace and really that's uh having been enough in hr and realizing how much more 
human uh, there is opportunity to bring into the <laughs> HR's world, I decided to make that my mission. So um, the way I realize that mission now is I uh, help leaders rethink the workforce strategy and then the HR strategy in support of that workforce strategy and then analytic strategy, since that's how you measure and demonstrate your value and impact. And then I decided also to do something at the individual level. And uh, I, last year, I founded a nonprofit called Amazing Community, which is focused on a specific segment, uh, women over 50, and specifically helping them prepare for the skills of the future. Having been in this space for quite some time, I realized that from a demographic perspective, that's one of the most underserved groups that mm. experiencing the most amount of challenges. Uh, in returning or staying employed. And as a society, we have the opportunity to rethink the norms, rethink the bias we have in HR, in uh, how we design our practices and uh, recruitment and uh, retention and career even. And then um, it, it informs, working with women, it informs a lot of the other uh, uh, spaces that I work in because I can see on the ground, the challenges that you will have to address as a practitioner as well as as a leader. Brilliant. Well, we're going to try and cover as many of those different areas as, as possible in the next few, well, in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, but we're going to start with our shared passion of people analytics. Yes. And I know you, obviously you spent a lot of time as a, as a practitioner at IBM, TIAA and Fidelity actually doing people analytics. What are your thoughts on the health of people analytics and some of the main challenges and opportunities um, and, and, and also what lies ahead. Just your view of what's going on in the space, really. It's exciting to be in, in the space because we're finally, I think, getting to a point where people pay attention. We have a name that it's consistent for the most part. That <laughs> previously, we used to be called all sorts of things, HR analytics, people analytics, workplace, workforce analytics, um, you name it. And now I think we're settling on a name and there is a lot more investment and CHROs and leaders in general are finally uh, uh, recognizing the value and they are asking for it, which is always exciting to be in the in the place where your work is in demand. Um, but I think the, the most exciting part is the, the maturity uh, of, of thinking. So now we're moving past the excitement thing, well, let's, you know, predict attrition and or let's, uh, let's just do some sort of a complex analysis. Mm. Instead, we're now taking a step back and saying, we have the capability, we have the infrastructure, what are the business problems that we can address and how can we tie employees uh, or workforce uh, measurements to the business outcomes or the brand impact outside externally. So it's, it's finally maturing, it's growing up and the infrastructure is available, the technologies are abound and that makes our life easier in HR's world. I think the, the uh, opportunity now is start to really hone in on the end-to-end um, -end employee experience and rethink the measurement systems to run horizontal along that experience as opposed to silo within HR's yeah. uh, processes. And I suppose the other thing you talked about, your passion is around humanizing the workplace. Yeah. You know, analytics is, is doing that in Absolutely. some organizations. And it's, a, it's really a, a way to put facts behind what has been known all along. We all know that talent is really one of the most important assets you have. They are mm. the ones who innovate. They are the ones who make processes run. They are the ones who delight the customer. And most of the time, we look at people as a cost. Now you actually can tie that cost to the impact, the revenue, whatever business outcome that you're trying to address. 
and um, it gives HR a very different power, uh, superpower to be able to articulate how what they do uh, is having a bottom line impact directly. And analytics is one way that yeah. HR can influence, you know, both business outcomes, work, workforce experience. What are some of the other ways that you're seeing that HR is trying to wield its influence? Uh, it's it's a new space that I think it'll take a little time to evolve. We're kind of at the beginning of the journey. So if you think about what marketing and customer uh, facing roles have done with the customer centricity and uh, rethinking the whole value chain of our organization um, around the customer journey, I think the type of thinking is starting to now bleed into the world of HR. And it's about time because if you think about the experience of your worker and eliminate the hassles along the way that gets in the way of them being productive, engaged, uh, feel part of the community, contribute. Um, the, the business results will be the evidence for that. And if HR, instead of thinking, you know, here's talent acquisition, here's the um, you know, onboarding, here's the compensation, and start saying, what is the journey of that yeah. employee from the moment they wake up in the morning until the end of the day, and how can we make that experience better? Um, and measurements will allow you to identify the, uh, the, the points where you can have an intervention to eliminate the hassles. Uh, analytics will help you understand the connection between the employee experience and customer experience. So you'll have a very different conversation with the leaders and saying, let's implement single sign-on, as simple as that. So an employee doesn't have to remember 17 passwords. Or let's um, let's eliminate the uh, you know certain compliance issues that are not necessary. There, a lot of it is self-inflicted. We put certain processes in place just mm-hmm. because of one infringement maybe 20 years ago. Why do we keep um, a lot of things in place. So HR now can step in and become kind of the um, the motivator and the uh, marketer for the organization facing its workforce. So it's helping define almost the moments that matter across the, exactly. the life cycle, using analytics to, exactly. to measure, improve. Exactly. And then I guess tying that to customer experience and business performance because ultimately yeah. that's how you'll get the business to buy into it I suppose. Absolutely and outcomes can vary right and, and that's another ch- challenge and, and an opportunity to think differently from an analytics perspective. We traditionally will think about um, outcomes that we measure based on the data we have. Yeah, <laughs> and we would try to have something that is very uh, consistent across the whole company. When in fact, let's face it, every country has different uh, cultural norms. Um, every market has different is on a different uh, uh, growth pattern, and they may have a different economy volatility. So the context is different for pretty much every location you may you may be dealing with. So instead of focusing on attrition as one big, you know important measurement across the company, with the technology you have now, you can do a lot more segmentation and a lot more defined um, set of outcomes that you look at and can uh, link to. Let be that, uh, you know, in, in customer-facing roles, yes, matter to have the customer satisfaction. But if you're in a back office roles, maybe there is a different set of measurements that you can tie to and outcomes, be that, um, I don't know, productivity or the level of engagement of people around you. 
Um, and, and tying that uh, along the entire journey is, is helping you understand where is the earliest intervention point to yeah. make a change. Um, I, I keep giving this example, like people don't quit overnight, right? If attrition is one of those um, important things for the organization, you need to think not to predict it because it's too late by that time to, to do something about it. You need to think earlier, what are the earliest um, paper cuts really that happen along the, the journey yeah. where you can have an intervention and say, you know, don't change a manager three times a year because most likely that will lead just to the whole team saying, I'm out of here because there is so much instability. Instead, um, thinking uh, about the employee experience and capturing those um, moments that matter and the feedback along the way and understanding where you can intervene so you can prevent that later on the uh, disengagement or attrition or whatever the outcome that mattered to the company is. And I suppose the thing is, if you're going to measure and you're going to put the measurements in place, you need to listen oh. and actually act. I, I know in IBM you were involved quite a lot with the social pulse yes. tool that IBM put in place. And there's a couple of really good examples of how they, they actually took the, the sentiment that was coming yeah. in and did something about it. I, I don't know if you want to share one of those. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of uh, listening along the journey because you never know when um, certain events and triggers will occur. And as an organization, uh, especially with the information moving so fast and um, the risk of being in a, you know, on a front page of the Wall Street Journal, is, it's instantaneous. You really need to have the finger on the pulse of your organization to detect those signals early on. Um, and the, the social pulse was a great solution that started as one of those, we will just experiment. We don't know where this is going to take us to. Um, I think it was 2013 or, or somewhere around that time when the um, IBM declared that Uber is not going to be reimbursed and one of the consultants went online and uh, described why that was the best decision and had a lot of rational uh, recommendations of it that um, you know life of a consultant should be made more difficult than already is. And uh, as a result, um, a lot of people commented like, tagged it, it got picked up by the social pulse and got escalated very quickly. In less than 24 hours, the policy got reversed. And it was a perfect moment to say, this is exactly why we built a tool, because it allows now the employees to have a voice and be able to escalate when it really matters, as well as the leaders to get in front of the issue much sooner, um, which was a great demonstration of the power of analytics but also the willingness of the leadership to listen yeah. and do something about it. And I think Diane Gerson actually has the social pulse, the top trending topics in her office, as you can see at any That's time. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> what a great um, you know, leadership example. And, and the, it points not only to the willingness to listen, but also to the agility and the mindset of you cannot afford any longer to create something that will take you know, two, three years to deploy, especially at the scale of IBM or any large organization, you really need to have a, a much more agile way of intervening and addressing issues. And many times it's just about the communication channels. And analytics allows you to do that and, and listen to your workforce. So there's also lots of opportunities for HR, technology, analytics, yeah. and everything else. But I sense that there's still some way to go for HR. A long way uh, to go. <laughs> so what are some of the skills and capabilities that HR needs to develop and build to take advantage of some of these opportunities? 
analytics, of course, um, but I'm biased. <laughs> well, yeah, we're both biased on that one. <laughs> um, I think the other space where HR can have a lot of uh, influence is design thinking. And this comes with that comment about the customer centricity yeah. and the ability to iterate much faster on changes and put yourself in the shoes of the end user, really build that empathy, and then build the process with that in mind. Um, the other skill that I see a huge opportunity for HR to step into is around the ethics, um, algorithmic responsibility, really, to bring more ethical design, ethics into the design of artificial intelligence and automation and uh, anything that now technology is allowing us to do. I think there's, it's very easy to get very excited about ways that you can eliminate human intervention and put an algorithm in, in place of it. Um, but the question is, is that algorithm designed using um, data that actually will ensure there's no discrimination, there's yeah, no yeah. bias introduced into the conversation? <clears throat> the other uh, component of it is it's great. It will help the organization save some money, but what would be the impact on the community or on the morale? So there are a lot of nuances that now becoming uh, is, are becoming uh, critical to have a conversation around, and there's no champion for those. And I think HR is perfectly positioned to drive that conversation because, after all, we are the ones who are... Um, carriers and the influencers of the culture, we have the ability to raise red flags, especially when it comes to anything that may impact the reputation of the organization. So uh, we just need to build a few skills uh, to, to ask the right questions, not, not necessarily to know the nitty-gritty, but be able to um, be part of the conversation when there is a design of a new security system uh, to understand what data fits into that and then say, that's not okay. That data yeah. will cross over um, certain gray lines uh, or may negatively impact the human being because when it comes to analytics for people, um, there is a human being behind every number. And I think we have to have a very different responsibility uh, put into the design uh, work. So in a way, it's a shift from, from HR being a little bit more thinking about the business rather than about HR. Exactly. Being a bit more open and transparent with what it's doing with data, what the benefit is to the organization, what the benefit is to employees and sharing that data in the first place. Yeah. And I think the you know the big thing you said around the whole design thinking mentality, you know, let's not spend three three years designing an HR program in isolation. Let's actually work with and for employees rather than doing things to them. It's quite a big it's quite a big shift from traditional ways that organizations have done HR in the past. Right. And HR, I think, um, will We'll see um, changes happening much faster uh, just because it's going to be pushed from outside. So it's kind of a matter of survival, either adapt or um, or fall behind. Um, and it was interesting to uh, have the earlier conversation with you about Dave Ulrich and the fact that, um, you know, we all remember him for the HR business partner model that he developed years, decades ago. And his thinking progressed so much further than that. And he is touching upon some of this, you know, agility and design thinking and customer centricity. But we tend to not listen to that. And I think it's time to step over yeah. the history that we grew up on and the textbook that we were educated on and say, 
um, time out, I think we can have now a very different set of um, superpowers that we can use in in day to day work. We just need to allow um, ourselves to take advantage of those instead of trying to protect. Like, no, this is how we've always been doing it, and therefore we're not going to. Um, uh, Shift the, yeah, introduce any, any aberrations. Everything needs to evolve, doesn't it? So, <laughs> exactly. So talking about these superpowers, so have you got any really good examples that you can share with listeners of, of organizations who are taking a more of a human-centered design approach to HR uh, and how that has benefited both the organization and, and the workforce as well? Um, of course, IBM is a case in point. We already talked about it, and there's a lot of great example of how IBM transformed um, the HR from a agile perspective, how it's using analytics to make uh, better decisions about the workforce and skills uh, updates and um, you know hiring decisions, etc. Um, other few examples that are more technology-driven, um, and, and it's well-known in the uh, in, a, in a world of uh, um, design thinking is Zappos. Uh, it's an organization that started with a human-centric uh, experience, uh, holacracy. There, there are many case studies written about it. Mm. Um, and it's very critical to have the right people that fit that culture because not everybody feels comfortable in that type of uh, uh, experience. So again, that's another uh, consideration for HR. It's for you to create the environment that attracts the type of people that you want to have uh, to deliver the purpose of your company. Um, other examples that are uh, uh, may not necessarily be the the um, it's it's a spotty uh, set of uh, reports is um, Amazon. Right on one side, you have a very keen customer-centric organization that really transformed industries, transformed the whole landscape. And while at some points in time you hear negative uh, press about the experience of employees, but what's positive is the listening part Mm. because the company is very quickly at adapting and saying, well, this algorithm negatively and disproportionately impacts women in the hiring process. We're going to scrap it and they make it public. So there is a lot of uh, examples to learn from because it's not just about um, the experience and how you create it, but quickly adapt as well as be very transparent about the changes you're making as a result of what you've learned. I love the philosophy uh, of Bezos that you know there are two types of decisions that are irreversible, and that those are the ones that uh, he and the senior leadership needs to be involved, and there are uh, reversible ones where you need to defer to the people on the ground to make yep. those decisions. Yep. And the more leaders can um, get comfortable with that idea, especially HR, saying you don't need to have a lot of the changes be escalated up. You have to just have the right type of channels to listen so you know when things bubble up and become irreversible and you need to intervene. The rest, you can leave it up to the people on the ground who know what's happening to make the change. So I I read one of your recent articles, um, I think it was in Clarity magazine, actually, and you you really detailed how organizations can embed some of these people and initiatives throughout the company. I think it'd be really helpful if you could share some of those, the ways of doing that with, with listeners. Um, so there are several aspects of it. We, we look at the 
drivers of change. And the way I'd classify them are in, uh, as a consultant, I have alliteration for everything. So um, four Ds. One is demographic shifts and the fact that you have a very different landscape uh, of uh, age, gender, uh, sexual orientation, um, distribution of skills around the world. Let's face it, population is aging. Um, we have now five generations uh, in the workforce with different needs and preferences. Technology is also influencing how we relate to each other, to mm. the workplace and the expectations we have. So th there is a lot more complexity that uh, these demographic shifts are, are bringing to the workplace. The other part is digitization, and the world around us is, you know, we are on devices, we have sensors around us. Uh, the world is becoming a lot smarter and understands what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and deliver that to us. We are so uh, spoiled and, and getting even spoil, more spoiled over time uh, as more companies catch on to the fact that uh, a great customer experience will create longer loyalty and better business results. Um, so we, we expect the same type of experience in the workplace. Why can't we have uh, all of our information on mobile device? Why do we have to have a laptop that boots up half an hour? <laughs> a lot of things are possible. So digitization is changing not only the world as a consumer, but the world as an employee. Um, third day is disintermediation and is the fact that you have uh, a very shifting definition of boundaries around industries, around uh, value chain. Just think the same example of Amazon. What industry are they in? Are they in retail? Are they in book selling? Are they in media? Are they going to Mars? Um, there's announcements of uh, putting a um, um, fulfillment facility on moon. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very different set of uh, measurements and parameters that we now need to think about and we're so stuck in the way of let's measure GDP and what's included in that let's measure um, you know your competitor uh, landscape based on the industry definition all bets are off nowadays with this disintermediated value chain and then the last day is datafication so all of these activity and shifts and movement creates a very different digital footprint that now you can make decisions differently so um, the organization has now the opportunity to uh, really study the workplace and the dynamics and detect the signals, uh, both inside and outside, connect the two, um, and think differently about everything that we as HR knew as status quo. So for one example, right, we typically think uh, um, about uh, all of these new skills that we need to jump uh, jump on a bandwagon of digitization. How can we become digital? How can we bring more data scientists, become more analytical? And, and we get stuck in a point of we don't find enough talent. There is not enough talent on the market. When in fact, you are creating a job description that looks like a unicorn and then you're becoming a, you know, a unicorn chaser as opposed to saying what is really the essence of what needs to get done. Certain pieces require data science. A lot of it does not. A lot of it can be done by somebody who only has um, two hours in the afternoon and can do it at their own leisure or at their own pace remotely. Uh, what gets in the way is our inability to think differently and saying, well, let's not give so much 
trust and power to job descriptions. Because let's face it, nobody, for the most part, works in a job description that matches exactly what's, you know, beyond day one. (laughs) But we put so much emphasis on getting it right and and then the recruiter to find the perfect match um, that we create our own challenges. Um, Yes, it requires a different way of orchestrating work and requires a different management skills and measurement skills. But I think analytics is that superpower that can enable you to do. There are algorithms that now can shred job descriptions and saying, here are the clusters of skills you need. You have ways to identify the perfect match for that specific skill to get it done, whether that's external employee or internal um, resource. Um, Again, this puts all the processes we know on a flips it on the side, right? How do you measure performance? How do you uh, determine the succession? Um, there are a lot of implications, and that probably is one thing that makes it so much more complicated to get it done. But whoever figures out how to do it, I think, will be the winners in the uh, in, in the next uh, uh, decade. Other opportunity. So this is one way of of looking at the talent at, at work, but then the talent itself. Right, tapping into the alternative sources, it's important. We're so used to, um, and sometimes analytics help us do that, <laughs> to look at the success profile, what that is, and um, cater towards you know, the bell curve as opposed to looking at the outliers and saying, yes, the typical candidate looks like this, but uh, there aren't enough of them. Maybe it's time to say, somebody who may not have the educational credentials will be a perfect candidate just because they have the experience. Or maybe a woman over 50 who will never end up being in, in the success profile uh, algorithm as a, as a perfect candidate for certain roles. Maybe there is just a small skill gap that you can quickly uh, upskill and train her on, and she can be the perfect catalyst. She can be the perfect uh, project manager. She can yeah, be the... Yeah. Um, the, the one who brings uh, disparate and, and conflicting situations uh, to to a resolution. So there is a different way of looking at the talent spectrum that you have to solve and address some of these labor shortages and um, uh, challenges about the the talent availability that we're facing. So it's interesting what you were saying about job descriptions because it's this great case study from Atlassian. Uh, they had a problem hiring female uh, software engineers uh, and they did some work, I think it was with Textio actually, and they started analysing the job descriptions and they found that men will typically apply if they meet 60-65% of the requirements, whereas women typically won't apply unless they meet more than 90-95% of the requirements. And then they actually started analysing some of the words that they had on the job description as well. And some words put women off from applying and also too many bullet points apparently as well. So they used that insight to completely reframe their job descriptions. And I do see that more data is now being used in the diversity and inclusion space, which is great. Um, and I just wonder, obviously, it's, a, it's an area that you're passionate about. You mentioned in the intro the work you're doing with the amazing community. You know, what are you seeing around how human-centered design and, and data are actually supporting initiatives in the DNI space? Can I reframe something? You can reframe something. <laughs> <laughs> It's flipping the DNI to IND. Yeah. And I think the uh, traditional, uh, that ties back to some of the analytics, as well as some of the re- regulatory and reporting requirements to um, 
have more disclosures around your diversity and composition of your workforce. And while that's great and that's so critical to do, that's the other side of the spectrum for yeah. from inclusion perspective. The more you focus on just certain segments without including everybody else in the conversation, the more isolated they will feel and the solutions will be, again, only tailored for one particular yeah. segment. And that's why it's so much more critical to bring the inclusion first. Flip it around, yeah. Flip it around. And if you solve for somebody who is disabled, everybody else will be able to use it much better and benefit. Um, the executive director of uh, Amazing Community, uh, Leslie Firestein, um, she recently uh, got a year um, uh, earpiece, earpiece yeah. yes, uh, to, to address her hearing. Um, and it's connected to Bluetooth, so now she, when she gets a phone call, she can quickly activate that. Um, she can listen to podcasts instantly. There is so much benefit out of... I said, like, I want that earpiece as well. <laughs> um, and it's that type of mindset. When you design for everybody, for extremes, the mainstream benefits. Yeah. And it's great for the workforce. It's great for the society, including people traditionally excluding from the workplace. Um, it's also great for your bottom line because now you're opening markets, new markets and new target segments where you can um, create better products and uh, better distribution channels, as well as the reputation and the, the, the um, brand will be looked upon differently because now you have a bigger purpose um, to address. So when it comes to amazing community, I think there is uh, a perfect example and a segment that has not only experienced sexism uh, since women, for the most part, make all the right choices, but they get penalized for a lot of things in terms of their experience, ability to continue with a career, in terms of the pay disparity. Mm. Um, every child is 4% uh, penalty on women when every child for women is 6% bonus. Uh, when it comes to pay. So there are a lot of little things that women have to experience throughout their life just because they tend to have children, just because they tend to step into caretaking roles. Um, the other thing about um, this segment is they experience ageism. They most likely will uh, you know, have uh, an outdated skill set, especially if they took a big career gap. Um, they most likely will not look the look. And as a result, there will be a lot of bias in even in the hiring process. They will have an outdated uh, or stale business network that doesn't help them to get back into the workforce. So a lot of barriers that uh, puts them at disadvantage. Um, and the the problem with, with this um, challenges they're experiencing is in the long term, they will outlive most likely their savings most likely they will outlive their spouse or yeah. partner, uh, statistically speaking. And if they have such, and, and their social security savings um, uh, as a result of their spotty employment history will be significantly smaller. So it's a, it's a matter of um, pushing them into poverty if something doesn't happen. But bringing back the inclusion part, if you design a solution that helps this specific segment, it will benefit everybody. Yeah. Um, it's better for the economy because you have more people participating and contributing. It's better from health perspective on a health uh, system because these people will have a reason and uh, need to get up in the morning and go to work. It will uh, contribute to uh, the employment uh, shortages because now you have more people 
doing bits and pieces of what needs to get done and, and providing more services. Um, the exciting part about what analytics can do is um, just shed the light on where these women can contribute the most, uh, is enabling them to build some of these skills because they will bring the resilience, they will bring the um, the responsibility that they 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 have, they will bring the um, uh, collaborative mindset. They just need to be given a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean it's good that I think the data is really starting to support IND. I'll call it now yes. initiatives. That's that's really cool. Now, staying with people, I don't know how you manage to do everything that you do, but I know <laughs> you're one of the, the the leading coordinators of the New York um, People Analytics Meetup yes. Group, which is I think one of the longest standing communities, a very large community, and I know it's helped inspire a lot of other similar groups around the world. Would be great if you could share with listeners is maybe some words about the about the group and, and some of the things yeah. that, it, that it that it kind of covers. So it started as one of those uh, you know griping sessions that Jeremy Shapiro and I had at the lunch, and it's like there's no place for anyone to, for us to go and have a conversation and just talk about things where everybody else understands us. <laughs> so, and he said, look, maybe. Maybe we should do something about it. Maybe we should start a group. So that's really the the genesis of this. Uh, we just needed a tribe. We needed to find a place where we can talk, and people understand, and we everybody relates to what's happening in the in the space. And it, it unexpectedly became a, a, a bigger tribe that it inspires others. It gives people a sense of community. It educates all of us, not only where the technology is evolving and what are the new uh, techniques that we can employ, but also uh, creates a different conversation about the um, responsibility we have. And yes, we have over 1,500 now, uh, which is exciting. And it's even more exciting to see that there are clusters and cells around the world to to do the same. You need to have that conversation, given all the... um, ethical ramifications and the yeah, implications yeah. we talked about earlier. Uh, but also, you need to have that sense of camaraderie. I, I can see in um, uh, in just the conversations, and people know each other, and they refer to each other. People find jobs. I'm waiting for marriages to happen next. but um, <laughs> I'm sure it's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's great to be part of the tribe. I think it gives everybody a sense of belonging to uh, something that they can influence and be part of. Well, I think, I mean, the people analysis community, as you know, is naturally quite collaborative. Yes. You know, we want to share, you know, things with each other. Um, and I know the great thing about the New York group is people, when they are in New York and they happen to be meeting, I know I've done it at least yeah. once, come along as well. Yes. Uh, and you're open You're open to that as well, because it's so easy to join, isn't it? So It is a low barrier, and it is, um, everybody finds something in it, uh, because we try to make it, uh, inclusive. Mm. At the end of the day, yes, we have a common theme that we are surrounded, uh, or we're, we're working around and talking about. But the rest of it is where the magic happens. It's the networking, is the um, uh, you know hiring connections, is the uh, the serendipitous um, conversations that you may have in a hallway or in the elevator going up to the meetup that afterward becomes. Um, a project that can become even a company sometimes. Yeah. So it's it's the things that happen at the periphery that really is exciting uh, about this community. We should probably do some analytics yeah. on the meetup group at some point. I think there's a social network um, 
study to be done on it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so that leads us on to our final question, which is the question that we ask all our guests on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And you can have a bit of fun with this. You know, what do you see the future role of HR come 2025? Oh, it's so exciting to, th- to dream <laughs> about the future. Um, the role of HR 2025 is not that far out. No, it's not that far out, is it really? Um, Which is why we picked it, because otherwise it's... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm ahead of my time, so if anything feels really scary to some, um, just... No, 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 no. Um, We've had all sorts of answers. <laughs> <laughs> I think HR can be the business development arm. Really think about way of identifying and securing the right type of source of talent um, to bring to the organization. HR can also be an Uber marketing arm because it's about finding and marketing your brand, employment brand, to the um, uh, to, to this wide talent pool um, and finding the best uh, to come to do whatever it is that your your company is is here for um and i think hr can be really the orchestrator of work i don't think there is a job description no <laughs> for that i don't think there is even um much energy around what that may look like and defining what that organizational would look like but those are the spaces where hr can play a big role um Talent is becoming more and more uh, empowered and they make very different choices about the brand they want to come and bring the talent to. So creating that compelling uh, story and experience for that talent to bring their best is really where the, the superpower of HR will be in the long term. So much more commercial than it's Absolutely. traditionally been. I think all of the processes that we today do are going to be automated. Mm. Be that you you put a bot in place or you completely eliminate it because it's unnecessary anymore because technology will allow you to uh, have more transparency, visibility to what's happening, optimization, orchestration of work. So at the end of the day, is that humanity component of it as well as the strategic thinking and business focus that you can now bring in value. Stella, thank you very much for being a guest. How can listeners stay in touch with you on social media, for example? Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter. I am on, uh, I'm Slupusho, without the R. Um, uh, I uh, am absolutely thrilled to speak with anyone who is interested to learn more about the amazing community, the analytics world, as well as uh, uh, has ideas for how to humanize the workplace for everyone. Stella, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to memory scientist Dr. Julia Shaw. So don't miss that one. See you next time.